On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to this episode of the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. In today's episode, Trent Cockrum, CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, is joined by one of our Hospice of the Piedmont physicians, Dr. Karen Cross. You can read more about Dr. Cross in the show notes for this episode. Together, Trent and Dr. Cross explore the complexities of toxic positivity and how it can be damaging to relationships, as well as some practical alternatives, including strategies for being present and acknowledging the suffering of others. Let's listen in. Dr. Cross, thank you so very much for joining me today. You are um, as your bio suggests, quite a, an accomplished individual, an accomplished physician. And so we are so very fortunate to call you one of our team members here at Hospice of the Piedmont. But while, we're, while we, we'd love to spend time talking about all of that, what I'm most interested in is you, by the way, just had an article, congratulations, published in the most recent journal of palliative medicine. Um, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and um, interestingly enough, the article that you or the essay, I guess, more more appropriately that you uh, that you penned is about platitudes and toxic positivity, which we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about today, because it really when I read it gave me a tremendous perspective that I had not um, considered previously. So um, thanks for being here and thanks for having this conversation with me. Uh, today, but let's go ahead and just jump in and talk about what interested you in this and what is toxic positivity? Well, I first became interested in this when I heard about this term um, on a podcast from Kate Bowler, who is a professor in the Divinity School at Duke. And toxic positivity has been around for a long time, but hasn't had a name. And what it is, is when a person is either in reference to interacting with another person or in reference to kind of their own self-talk, kind of ignores the underlying emotion and fills in the space with platitudes. Things like, Oh, just think positive. Everything will be fine. When one door closes, another door opens. Um, You wouldn't be given this if you weren't strong. Um, Just pray and everything will be okay. These platitudes that I've certainly heard and probably, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, have probably delivered myself. Um, when talking with an individual who's struggling. And while people, of course, are very, very well-meaning, and I think this is what we're taught in society to just to, to think positive. But what is being discovered as people look into this is there's a lot of downsides to this for the person hearing these things because it negates their true feelings and people report feeling 
certainly not heard or maybe embarrassed or ashamed of what are very normal human emotions because they're not acknowledged. These emotions are, are belittled and and I don't, I, I, as I said, I think people are very well-meaning, but it, it's a kind of a response, I think, to people feeling uncomfortable with dealing with difficult emotions. So the fallback is just rely on a, a, a platitude, a positive, upbeat platitude. Yeah, you know, it, it dismisses the emotions instead of affirming them. Um, I think that's one of the quotes that you cited in your in your essay mm-hmm. uh, from a psychologist. Um, and and you, you are right. I think that we say these things because um, we we you know, we certainly don't want to um, uh, promote negativity of the for the to the person who's, you know, enduring something particularly challenging. Um, and so the immediate sort of programmed response is to be incredibly positive when in fact that isn't necessarily oftentimes the best thing for the other person to be able to hear. I think that's what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And one of the things that Kate Ballard says um, is that as you kind of follow this down the road, when things do not get better, which we certainly know not everybody gets better with treatment, diseases progress. Um, We certainly have wonderful treatments for some conditions. We do not have treatments for other conditions. And so what does the person think when they do all of these positive things that people tell them and they don't get better? Mm -hmm. Then it's, am am I a bad person? Did I not hard enough? Did I not think positively enough? And did I not live my life right? Yes, yes, exactly. And one of the things that Kate Bowler pointed out, as the recipient of this, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer at age 35, and tells a story about being in the gift shop at Duke Medical Center, um, in her hospital gown with her IV pole after surgery and looking at the books that they had in the um, one of the windows there, which were just a, a variety of upbeat, think positive. You can certainly overcome this with, with positive thoughts and, and her reaction to that. Interestingly, she had her field of study was um, the um, prosperity gospels, which basically say, as you said, if you live your life right, you will prosper. And um, and she talked about how it felt to be the recipient of those things in um, in her medical situation. Yes, yeah, she she actually wrote a book called uh, "Everything Happens for a Reason" and other lies I've learned to hate. Um, yes, it's an uh, excellent book. Yeah. Um, or excuse me. And uh, everything happens for a reason and uh, other lies I love to hate, um, I think is the right term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, 
someone who's experiencing something really significant in their life, like for example, having been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, like she was at the age of 35, I think particularly, yes. you, know, mm-hmm. um, you know, is thinking, what's the reason this is happening to me? She's lived right. She's followed these prosperity gospels, right? She is a divinity professor, right? So <laughs> she understands this really unique intersection between uh, faith and well-being. Um, but then, but then to have someone say to her, well, everything is going to be fine when in fact, she's not sure that it's going to be fine. It's particularly damaging to her. Right. And, and and being on that side of it and in her book, she really explains. And again, she acknowledged that people are very, very well-meaning, but she explains how that landed for her and for her family considering the dire um, prognosis of stage four colon cancer. Because it's difficult for us to think about that. There's, there's, a, there's something that I know that you've mentioned to me several times in the past that um, death in Asian countries is celebrated, uh, death in European countries is expected, and then death in the United States, as you say, is... It's optional. Optional, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yes, because, um, and obviously, we have wonderful um, treatments and um, procedures and interventions. But as another colleague of mine said, the death rate remains stable. It's a hundred percent. Everyone will die, and to not acknowledge people's fears about. What's going to happen to me? What am I going to go through? What impact is this going to have on my family? You know, ignoring that concern, that that fear is very da- has can potentially be very damaging. Sure, this is reminiscent of you know something that I recall uh, from Dr. Atul Gawande, who of course wrote a New York Times bestselling mm-hmm. book, and then went on to make a PBS Frontline documentary uh, and. Uh, you know, he says a couple things that are noteworthy, I think, for this conversation is that is that aging and dying are the two unfixables that we all face, one, mm-hmm. but that two, you know, hope is not a plan. And so for for us to consistently reaffirm to say, well, you know, y- you've only been given no more than you will be able to bear or um, the struggles that you are experiencing will, you know, alleviate themselves in time may not be particularly helpful for the recipient of those of that commentary. I think that's also part of what we're talking about, right? And and she um, she talks about the marginalization that people feel um, when being the recipient of this and their true emotions ignored. And these are people who are already extremely vulnerable because mm-hmm. they're Typically, and and we talk primarily about medical um, conditions, but obviously this is appropriate to apply to life's myriad of other stresses and things. Um, But being patients, by definition, are vulnerable Mm -hmm. and very susceptible to things. And the other problem that people don't realize is this can damage the relationship between the giver of toxic 
sensitivity and the recipient because when you feel marginalized, you don't necessarily want to continue to have a relationship or be in the company of that person. And again, that person has is very well-meaning, but there's the risk that, that, that the relationship will suffer also. Sure. So it begs the question, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where your, your sort of normal program response is to say, everything is going to be fine, you know, in the end, or, um, you know, you, you will, you will absolutely get through this and you're sort of, you know, talking through some of these toxic, positive, uh, um, commentary that we've been discussing. Um, what are some alternative phrases that you might be able to say beyond the sort of typical toxic platitudes that we've talked about? Well, responding to the emotion and saying things like, wow, that must be really, really hard. I cannot imagine how difficult this is for you, for your family. Acknowledging, I think, the person's own discomfort because people feel uncomfortable with another person's suffering and acknowledging, wow, this is a big thing instead of rushing to a suggestion. You know, we want to, that's the other thing that's very characteristic of um, our culture is we want to fix things. Mm -hmm. And what I'm suggesting is just acknowledging the other person's situation, feelings, and then sitting with it, just silence and letting the person know that they were heard and respond to that. And our society, we want to fix things, which I am definitely, that's, yeah, I'm a call. <laughs> that's one of my responses is to just sit and listen. We don't, in general, do well with silence. We want to fill it in. Sure. Um, so acknowledging, wow, that, that sounds really, again, fill in the blank. And then just sitting with that and letting right. the person know that, that, that they were heard. And instead of fixing suggestions, say things like, wow, I'm, I'm here for you. Um, I'm Let me know if there's something that I can do for you. Something mm -hmm. like yeah. And then just being in that person's presence. Hi, friends. It's your host, Ryan Biagini. I'd like to take a moment to encourage you to subscribe and stay tuned to this podcast channel for exciting news and developments about how we support caregivers. As an organization, we are committed to advocating for those caring for others and creating innovative solutions to address the needs of caregivers. And now let's get back to the conversation. You know, one of the things that comes to mind as we've had this conversation this morning is, um, you know, is, uh, is for someone to say, and I know this is, I've heard this before, um, you know, for someone to say, well, gosh, you know, my cousin's brother's mother, um, you know, had this, uh, and she went to fill in the blank academic medical center. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and she's fine now. Um, mm -hmm. and when in reality they may have a totally 
you know, the, the, the two, the two individuals we're talking about may, may, may be in totally different situations altogether. Um, because, you know, a, a diagnosis for one person is not necessarily the same. It's the same diagnosis for another person, but it doesn't necessarily manifest the same way. And the treatments are different. And, you know, who knows? I mean, there are a lot mm-hmm. of different, you know, scenarios at play here. And that's one of the things that I think about um, as a potentially sort of toxic platitude, which is, you know, well, gosh, I know someone and they uh, went to, you know, again, fill in the blank academic mm-hmm. medical center and they're fine now. When in reality, they may not have all the facts and circumstances for the person. Absolutely. And that kind of is part of our fix it. Well, right. okay. So I'm going to tell you about this, this great center and you'll go there and everything will be okay. And that's our way of part of that is our way of fixing it. And, and absolutely, as we learn more about various conditions, we realize that one, one lung cancer tumor is very different than another one and how it will respond to treatment. Um, And the other thing that I really want to discourage people from doing is saying things like, you know, I know exactly how you feel. I, and then going off on a story about something similar that happened to that person, which again, comes across as, you know, that person, the, the person suffering doesn't feel heard. Right. And even it's the same thing you just said, even if that other person had a, similar diagnosis or a similar life event, it's different for every person. So to say, I know exactly how you feel. Let me tell you what happened to me. Right. And, um, and you know, and it's, it's not, it's taking the focus away from the person who's suffering in need. Sure. So I have to ask you this. I mean, you know, people are, are individuals are generally not moved to write an essay to be published in a well-known journal unless the topic in particular has had a profound effect on them personally. So I have to ask you, I mean, you are a physician um, and, you know, has this, but you're also a person, you are just a regular human being, right? Um, Just like we all are. Um, As the author of this essay, has it, has your sort of uh, research into this topic, you know, had an effect on you personally, and more importantly, has it changed the way you interact with patients or just in general with people? And certainly, I think I have had situations in my life where I've been the recipient of toxic positivity, and I remember how kind of how badly it landed and how uncomfortable I felt but also felt kind of guilty because running through my mind was, well, I know that person didn't mean to be hurtful, that they're a lovely person and they care about me, but that was really a hurtful thing to say. And I think hearing the term that, that my discomfort was not just something I felt. It's like, oh, this, there's an actual term. And it wasn't just me. <laughs> this, is, um, this is certainly a concept. And then once I became aware of that, I started seeing how, unfortunately, I was the giver of some 
toxic positivity at times. And then I started seeing it everywhere. I started seeing it in other people's conversations. I started seeing it in movies, on television shows. It, it's so ingrained, I think, in our culture because unlike Asian countries where death is, you know, a normal part of the cycle of life and the elderly are revered and um, their wisdom and things, you know, someone's not going to say, oh, you know, everything's going to be just now. Don't talk about things like passing on. Everything's going to be just fine. That's that's not what they believe. So that culture, you don't, you're not going to hear that. But I think realizing that it wasn't just my discomfort and then I saw it everywhere. Right. It, you know, it, it, it also conjures up another thought in my head, which is, you know, that I've learned over the years, um, you know, not to ask to someone who may be experiencing something particularly significant in their lives, whether it be illness or just as a series of difficult situations, you know, to say, well, how are you feeling when I know that their likely answer is not well, right? Um, and so why do I, why do I want to, 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 to ask them to go there when really I can, you know, change that conversation a bit more to be a bit more empathetic sounding, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other part is our society, we are used to programmed answers. When you say, should I ask someone how they are? What is our standard greeting of people? Good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? And then on to whatever business is. And you'll get that when you sometimes, you know, call to make an appointment for something and or um at the grocery store checkout line with someone that you don't know and you know there's 20 people behind you and it's well known that what you're supposed to say yeah and and what we're talking about here is when the other person has some awareness of what the person to whom they're talking is experiencing right Mm -hmm. Uh, i think i think it is you know i think we've got to give a nod to the to the general pleasantries that we exchange during the normal course of our daily lives. But when we actually know someone who's going through something difficult um, and, you know, we engage them in a conversation, our goal should try to put ourselves in their shoes. It seems um, to understand a bit of how they're feeling before we, you know, try to, you know, interject our own, uh, sort of toxic platitudes um, Mm -hmm. into the, into the, into the conversation. And I would say not to open this door unless there's some time, Mm -hmm. you know, when you ask someone who, you know, is, is struggling, how are you feeling? And then to sit in silence, these things take time. Yeah, they absolutely do. Um, You know, I do think there's something incredibly powerful in being able to acknowledge what someone has said to you that sounds particularly difficult. And if it sounds like it might be particularly difficult, then I think it's a fair, uh, a fair statement to say, then it likely is for the person who's telling Uh you that. And so just changing the way you respond um, as to, you know, to, to just say something as, as, 
as nurturing as well. That must be so challenging because that is an incredibly nurturing statement. Mm-hmm. You're, you're affirming to the other person that you understand the gravity of what they're dealing with. You're not offering them, well, you know, it's going to be fine. I'm sure when the other person, mm-hmm. the, the surety of how fine it's going to be is not a certainty in mm-hmm. their mind at all. Um, so, you know, uh, so we've talked about a lot, Dr. Cross, we really have, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, and, um, you know, I want to ask you, I mean, are there things that, uh, uh, some commentary you want to give to our listeners? Is there one thing you want them to know as we sort of wind down this conversation today? I think, um, I want to encourage people to acknowledge their own feelings and realize that the other person is experiencing similar things and not think that they have to fix it. Um, Acknowledging the overwhelm, the grief, the anger, the fear, the frustrations just put a name to it. Wow, that must be very fill in the blank. I can't imagine how hard that is for you. And just stop and let the person feel heard because just just a simple statement is so powerful. It's letting the person that they know that they were heard. And isn't that kind of what we all want? to be heard, sure. to be acknowledged, not be marginalized. Right. This has been a powerful conversation today, Dr. Cross. I want to thank you so very much for joining me um, today in this conversation about platitudes and toxic positivity, a thing that as I look back on the span of my life, I know that I've been guilty of myself, um, <laughs> but you've certainly helped me uh, create some greater uh, sense of awareness for when I talk to individuals, as I often do, who may be experiencing, you know, just significant challenges in their life um, and realizing that my response, my programmed response may, in fact, not be the most beneficial response for them. And so thank you for helping me gain a greater sense of empathy and for helping our listeners gain a greater sense of empathy, too, and just for sharing your um, your thoughts and expertise with us today. So thank you so much. Well, you're right. And thank you for having this, giving me an opportunity to talk about this and also for having this platform. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the E-Series. We'd like to give a special acknowledgement to author Kate Bowler, whose content and podcast, Everything Happens, was the inspiration for much of our conversation today. We've included the link to her book, as well as other valuable resources in the show notes for this episode. We're excited to continue this caregiving dialogue throughout the fall. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll receive a notification as each episode publishes. Until next time, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.